0: Welcome to another episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. When it comes to educating our kids with special needs, we as parents tend to focus primarily on the here and now this year, this grade, getting our child or children through the year, especially when they're younger. But what about beyond elementary school or beyond middle school or high school? What will life be like for our kids in college and then going on to the workplace? Well, our guest for this episode of Special Parents Confidential is able to offer a lot of information about that very subject. Gabriella Delgado has a learning disability, and in 2008, while she was a freshman at Louisiana State University, she decided to create a website resource for other college students with disabilities called We Connect Now. Her website has been visited by over 175,000 people from all around the United States as well as 137 other countries. It's an online forum about college and university life for students with physical disabilities and learning disabilities where they can share their stories and information. And as those students graduate and move into employment, they're using We Connect Now to share stories and information about the job world and successes or problems that they're encountering there. Gabriella graduated from LSU and has moved back to her home in Puerto Rico, where she joins us for the interview, along with her dog Coco, who you'll hear trying to tell her own story. Gabriella Delgado, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us about your background and why you started We Connect Now?
1: Well, I, um, my background is I was born in Maryland and I grew up in Puerto Rico. And when I was in high school, I was looking for resources about college and disability. And there wasn't really one place, one space that you could find a lot of different resources on jobs, on stories, on news, events. So I did all of this research in high school, and it was very useful for me. And I wasn't really thinking, well, beyond that. But then I was a freshman in college, and I did this fellowship through YP4, and the fellowship through YP4, allowed me and gave me the opportunity to come up with a blueprint for social change. And with that blueprint, I thought that it would be a good idea through the blueprint to use this research I'd already done and come up with a website.
0: And the website was started as a way for students to connect and share their experiences in college?
1: Yeah, and I would say that it's also useful for parents because parents can look at it And they can see stories of some of the experiences of people who are college students with disabilities. So they can see their child through that student in the stories page. For example, if I'm the parent of a child, of someone in a wheelchair, maybe I want to watch the Nika Pendleton interview. Mm -hmm. Because through the Nika Pendleton interview, I can see some of the challenges she had. Because she was in a wheelchair, and she talked about how she couldn't go to class, and she was emailing the disability office and they weren't getting back to her and how that affected her that she couldn't go to class for several weeks and then there wasn't a desk that fit her wheelchair so her father who worked in facility services got her a desk that worked so it was one of those very interesting sort of things about some of the real life things that you don't think about you know if you have a child who is someone in a wheelchair you're not thinking that they're not going to be able to get into a classroom or they're not going to have a desk But some of the things that actually happen to people.
0: And if you don't mind my asking, uh, what is your disability?
1: Um, I have attention deficit and a learning disability.
0: And you have the uh, difficulties of uh, concentration and being able to study in class and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah. So I definitely think that for me... Well, reading in the classroom, and if you had to do, like, short reading and then answer questions in class, it was hard for me because I would take longer to do the reading. Right. And longer to write the answers than someone without attention deficit right. or learning disability.
0: Okay. Now, we've heard in previous interviews that I had with education advocates that getting special education help in college can be more difficult than a grade school or in high school, too, because in, the students in college are expected to advocate for themselves. Was that the experience that you had when you were in college? Well,
1: what I would say first off with my experience in college is that I didn't get special education help. I was in regular classrooms with students who didn't have disabilities Ah. and who, well, I got accommodations. And as far as I know, Louisiana State University and most universities across the country, to not, not say all, but most of them don't have special education classes. Right. So what you're really doing is you're in a regular classroom with other students, but you're getting accommodations. Okay. But um, from the accommodations end, I think what is considered a reasonable accommodation and what really works doesn't always well add up. And I think for me personally is that some of my classes, especially the smaller classes, liberal arts, we had to sit in a circle. Mm-hmm. And I found it very distracting to have to sit in a circle. So my accommodation would be that I would sit out of the circle, but the professors wouldn't stop having the class in a circle, Mm -hmm. but it didn't really work out, and you would end up having to go back in the circle, because the professor would have group work, where the person next to you in the circle, and you would like read an essay, or you would discuss it, and when you're sitting behind someone out of a circle, you can't really lean over their back and stuff. Right. So I would say that whole experience of how what is an accommodation versus what the reality of how the classroom works.
0: So you weren't getting the same kind of assistance that you'd gotten in grade school and you found that this became more challenging?
1: Well, what I would say is that it could be more challenging, but also it would be great to have professors that are educated, not just from the student who's living it, but from the administration. For example, I think it would be great if a lot of professors understood that for certain students with certain disabilities, mm. sitting in a circle isn't the best. So if they could have their class that isn't sitting in a circle, right? I think it would make a life a lot easier for different students. And also the importance of self-advocacy. And I also think that when we talk about self-advocacy and stuff, one of the things people miss is that people talk about you need to know how to advocate for yourself, Mm -hmm. But it assumes that when we're advocating, we're all advocating from the same position. Uh, Well, certain students who have more means economically or have better grades may be in a stronger position to self-advocate. So it's important that if you're not wealthy or you don't have those grades, that you be able to understand what the appeals procedure. Because a lot of people and a lot of the students we work with come to us because they're appealing something. They haven't been able to get that accommodation they need to succeed. We had a young man, David Gaines, we pushed his letter to the Department of Justice about his lack of getting his accommodation. And a lot of people don't know what to do. People assume, I'm in college, I'm going to get this accommodation, not, who, who do I appeal to, where's my protection and advocacy, where's legal aid. So I think that whole situation, a lot of parents and students aren't ready for.
0: Right. Right. So it's a whole different ball game as far as trying to get the accommodations and trying to get the professors and the teachers to be on board with it all.
1: Yes, and in high school you have a right to a free legal public education, but you don't have a right to a college education. Ah. So you have to so that is a difference in the law. And right. with the IT process, parents are very involved. Mm-hmm. So then when you're in but in college you have to be your own advocate. So it's important that parents allow their kids in high school mm-hmm. to take on that procedure to discuss at the IEP meeting to be a voice, because if you don't do that with your child in high school, it's going to be very hard for the child to do in college. The way I like to look at this analogy is parents fight the battles in high school for their kids and in elementary school, but in college you have to fight those battles, so how that works.
0: Yeah, you're more on your own then. Yes, Absolutely. All right, and thats I suppose those go along with a lot of the common issues that students with learning disabilities or other disabilities face in college and also some of the misconceptions that people have about college and even going on to jobs and just uh, how different the reality is versus what we think it's going to be.
1: Yeah, I think misconception is that all campuses are equally accessible is one of them. Some campuses have modern, newer buildings, and they're more accessible than some older campuses that they'll have to retrofit building, right. you want to visit campus. I, I can't say this enough. Mm-hmm. You do not want your child to go to college until they visited the campus.
2: Because right. that's
1: the best way you see, for example, if you're in a wheelchair, can I get around, can I not? Or if you have a visual impairment, you know, how easy is it to get around? What assistive technology do they have? So all of those issues, I think, are big issues.
0: Yeah, because a lot of states, of course, get involved with the accessibility laws, and many colleges are grandfathered in so that they don't have to make accommodations or physical changes to their buildings.
1: Exactly. And then you also, I think another misconception that some people have is that students who get accommodations while they're in college are wealthy kids that want to get a free ride, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. What I do think happens is that students who are wealthier who are in college are more likely to get the accommodations they need than students who come from a lower-income background. Because a lot of uh, accommodations, a lot of the ADA is is enforcement. And if it's not enforced, you have to be able to be your own advocate. And sometimes that means going to legal aid or getting an attorney. Like, we had a woman in our story section who she had a psychiatric disability, and it goes to another issue, the issue of privacy. She went and she got some mental health treatment, But she got it off campus, and she thought that they weren't going to tell the school. And that ended up with some problems that she ended up being dropped from the program. Hmm. So I think people also have to know the right to privacy.
0: Right, because in this case, the college was demanding all kinds of personal and medical information that they actually weren't entitled to have.
1: Yeah, and you have to be careful. I also recommend that if students have certain disabilities, that if they have health issues, for example, you want to try to, although that didn't help this woman, Get services off campus. So maybe you don't want to visit the counseling center on campus or the health center because you may be indirectly disclosing to the university. And also the requirements for accommodations, Mm -hmm. which are different, and some of those requirements for accommodations, I think, are too rigid. For example, if you have diabetes, Mm -hmm. and you've had diabetes, you shouldn't have to every couple of years get an exam to show how your diabetes affects. And I think in some with some disabilities, we put a burden on families for documentation And indirectly, by putting that burden on those families and those students, a lot of the time we put that burden on the school district who pays for the testing. Right. So we put the burden on the
0: taxpayer. And that shouldn't need to be there. There should be more, yeah, I think there should be more of a uniform uh, national law regarding uh, how the disabil- disabled students are able to uh, get through college and things like that. It's, But it's difficult to get that because so many states have their own ideas. And then, of course, there's there's the whole challenge of private colleges, too.
1: And not just private colleges, but also I think enforcement. We have the Americans with Disabilities Act. I think a great thing would be to have a better system of enforcement. Because a lot of the time what happens with students who are trying to get accommodations is that before they go elsewhere, they go up the chain of command, they go through the university, and the university, for the most part, is not going to admit they made a mistake in not giving you accommodation. Right. So you have to give have a procedure for students to go otherwise. And sometimes the procedures don't lead to the best results. Like the woman with the psychiatric disability we had, she went through the Department of Justice remediation, mediation, mm-hmm. and she was not able to get a favorable outcome for her, so therefore she's suing. Or the other young man, Dave Gaines, had not heard from the Department of Justice. Mm. So all of those things, I think, affect you know, because the more, you know, more hoops you have to climb and the higher up you have to go in the bureaucracy, less people are going to go up. Right. So it doesn't mean that you're not having these problems. It just means people aren't getting satisfactory solutions.
0: Right. And for many students, a lawyer is not always an affordable option.
1: Exactly. But what I always tell students is that there are legal aid available. So there are free legal services. But that is something that the parent of a student with a disability, and you should look at. Where is the legal aid? The other thing that is also no cost to you are protection and advocacy agencies. And there's one in every state.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you definitely want to know where that is if you're having a problem. Because I think the sooner you get some a third party out of the university involved, the more likely you are to get restitution, to get the accommodation you need. Right. And for a lot of students, if you don't go through the accommodations process and get it, and you missed the semester, you flunked out, it's over. So you really have a limited time in which to get that accommodation.
0: Right. Now, another feature of We Connect Now is that you offer resources for students with disabilities to find employment and help share information about job opportunities out there. What do you hear from the students as far as employment opportunities and workplace issues?
1: Well, I think one big one is that going to college is not necessarily going to get you a job. Right. So when you're in college, you have to try to have some sort of work experience. Uh The reality is if you have great grades, but you don't have any clubs and you don't have any work experience, your chances of getting a job while in college are less. And then also there are other misconceptions, which are whether or not an accommodation is going to cost an employer a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, too many employers still think that hiring someone with a disability is taking a risk.
0: Hmm. That
1: you're doing something that may or may not work out. Right. And I think it's interesting, too, how people aren't willing to give a chance. There was an episode on what can you do. I believe it's ABC, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they were talking about young women who were deaf. They were students at Rochester's technology. Anyway, anyone who's watched the show knows that they put scenarios to see how people react. Mm-hmm. And the guy is basically telling people, well, I'm not going to hire you because you're deaf.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a job that's like cleaning dishes. It doesn't involve working with public. So it's not that being deaf could affect. Right. And it's interesting how, during the episode, some people who work in human resources in HR come to the guy and basically tell him how you legally discriminate. And they're like, well, you can't tell them you can't hire them because they're deaf. You can tell them they're not a good fit or, you know, help them do this or that. So it's, it's all of this procedure of how there's this subtle discrimination. But right. these HR people are so good at it that you'd probably never be able to prove that they didn't hire them because they were deaf.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah, they have all kinds of ways to get around things like that. That's uh yeah. So there's there's definitely a need for uh, people to get their stories out there and uh, let people know what's going on.
1: Definitely, and I also think that the issue of disclosure is a big one for a lot of people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Should I disclose? Should I not disclose? And I would say that more of the people we talk to take the route of non-disclosure that they think that if they disclose before an interview they won't get the job or if they get the job they think that they won't be promoted because they have a disability but then that's not an option for everyone because if you're blind and you go into the interview and you're walking with your cane you're obviously blind or you're in a wheelchair so what options are there for people who have obvious disabilities?
0: And what about the businesses themselves? Are companies or corporations starting to utilize uh, WeConnect now for resources, or is that still something that's uh, primarily that they're trying to go against?
1: Well, I don't. I wouldn't say companies are going against us. We don't really know. I mean, we have a job site, you know, and right. anybody can look at it and resources. But most of the people who use our job site never get in contact with us. So we don't know who they are. We don't take corporate or government money. So in that way, we try to be an independent voice. And I'm proud to say that when the government was shut down, we were still open. So there were a lot of nonprofits that were not. And we try to be an independent voice, different from the policy people in Washington. And I also think that that's one of the things that is so great about our site, is our site is a site that people can understand, you know. One of the things when I did disability research is so many of the websites, you know, are really tailored to people who have a certain knowledge. You know, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in disability studies and know about the Rehab Act to be able to read our website. And I think that that opens it to a lot of parents and people who have family members with disabilities who aren't disability makers.
0: Now, you have a page on your website that's dedicated to holding We Connect Now events as well as having We Connect Now chapters in communities. Can you talk about what those events are and what the chapter organizations are able to provide for the community?
1: Well, we provide a voice for students with disabilities. We provide community. We provide the ability for them to get resources if they're having an issue or a problem on campus. And a lot of people ask me, well, I don't really understand how, like, We Connect from this campus is there's so many disability clubs. And what I tell them is we're a voice separate from the administration. So there may be a disability club on that particular campus, but if that disability club meets in the disability office and the disability office staff or director is the advisor, the student who's having the problem with the disability office that comes to WeConnect in the first place isn't going to join that club or that thing. So I think we really give a space to people who are having an issue who is not the administration's voice. And then also we provide events like the Disability Rights Campaign. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to tell people is that they can get involved, not just through chapters, but as connectors, which are volunteers who organize in their community. We have staff, faculty. You can be a parent. And with that, you can help us by the posters. And a good example is even though we have these events, unlike a lot of other organizations that do these events, is that we, as an organization, when we do the, the, what do you call that, when we do the event, we allow people to specify it. So if you're going to see a poster on one campus, that's a residential campus, you are going to definitely see it in a dorm. But another campus, which is a commuter campus, you'll see it in the student union or in the bathroom. So people really take it wherever they want to take it. Mm -hmm. The same thing with our movie screenings. Someone did one in their house, did from their campus. Another person did it in a dorm room. People do it where they think it works best. And what I also tell people is what makes us different than other organizations is that we are all volunteer, and all of our volunteers want to be there. We are not, none of the volunteers we have are doing it as a service requirement, because we want people who are really there and who want to do it because they're interested, not because they have to graduate. Because when I was a student at LSU and I worked with Amnesty International, I always thought there was a difference between the volunteers who were doing it because they had to to graduate versus the people who really wanted to be there. And I think that's allowed us to do events in the summer and when classes are low or doing something because the people we have are really committed. And they're there not because they're getting something out of it, but because. They're getting the joy of being involved and in helping the community.
0: Okay. Um, now, your site has visitors from nearly all over the world. So, what do you hear from international visitors as far as issues about education and employment? Is it about the same, or is it worse? Or in some cases, is it could it be better?
1: Well, I think some of the people who look at our website internationally, they look at us as a template. They want to. We may not have the laws of their country, but if they're looking to start an organization or work on the issue in their country. They want to hear the stories of people in the United States to have a sort of a comparison. They want to see the laws in the U.S., to see how if they have laws similar or they don't. And then they also want to see what events, what ideas they can get for events or news. But as far as people contacting us, it's people who want to migrate. I, we had a man from somewhere in Latin America. I don't remember the country off the top of my head. He wanted to move to Mexico, and he was a paraplegic, and he wanted to know about Job opportunity. So some of it is people who want to migrate to the U.S. or Canada and want to find a job, and what can they do?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's kind of a hard issue to answer because, uh, you know, you're dealing with immigration issues as well as disability issues.
1: Well, in that case, besides immigration, you ha- you want to point them to wherever they want to move, what the disability employment agency is or what you know disability group is in their community that could be of a resource.
0: Right, right, that's very important. Now, most of the Special Parents Confidential podcast listeners are parents of grade school kids, elementary school, middle school, high school. If there's one bit of advice that you think would be the most important thing that a parent of a grade school child should know about college and beyond, what would that be?
1: So the most important advice for parents of students with disabilities, I would say is college is not high school, and you need to be able to tell the differences the IEP process, accommodations, you're not guaranteed a right to a free education college the way you are in a public school, and you need to understand that there are privacy issues. So if you call on behalf of your student and your student doesn't sign a form, you can't get that information. So certain privacy concerns limit the role of parents on campuses, and you also want to say that when you are looking at campuses and understanding that, You have to be very conscious of being there and seeing the disability office. You should talk to a student. You do not want to do that without talking to a student. And I think one of the newer things that's going on on campus, which is always a great idea, is to pick a campus that has the ability for you to live there. And I think that's important residential life because a lot of campuses in trying to carry community, have started to do dorms with specific themes and specific avenues, environmental justice, social justice, Hispanic awareness. And those dorms also, for a lot of freshmen students, have a class in the dorm. So if your student is a student who may have autism or Asperger's and they have a harder time meeting someone, that student will be able to, through that dorm experience, and meet people who are freshmen like them with similar interests, and they have a lot of activities put into it. So if you're a student with a certain disability, definitely dorm life is important. And then I would also say that when you are looking, be very watchful of your high school. And one thing I noticed is that a lot of the high schools have transition staff, students with disabilities who are going to college. And a lot of what I see there is that a lot of what they are recommending are certain pro, it's a one-size-fits-all solution. A lot of the transition coordinators at high school promote certain programs where students are not going to get a degree or the same degree as their peers or they're not included. So it's important that you use whatever college counseling services are available to students without disabilities. I do not recommend the transition people at the high school. You want to know what is a student without a disability, what campus visits are available, what scholarships, what opportunities. What a mission requirement. And you want to listen to that. You don't want your kids to end up in a path They're they're going to end up getting a lesser experience. And also you want to ask, a lot of these high schools have relationships with these certain programs, so you want to know where they're coming from because you want to know, are they getting, well, first of all, are they, is there a relationship? Is that person a staff? Because when someone tells me, for example, an Avon representative, that that lipstick is really nice, I know that person is trying to sell me the lipstick, because it's important that students' interest and the best solution for the students, not the one size fits all, ends up not being trumped by a conflict of interest the school district has in promoting a certain program or a particular staff member
0: does. Right. So the bottom line is visit the campuses yourself and talk to the people there at the colleges. And start early, like maybe junior year or even sophomore year of high school.
1: Absolutely. The earlier, the better, ninth grade. And the more time you give your child to see campuses, to meet people with disabilities, is there a club, is there a student-student government? All of those things are things that you want to know. And you don't want to make assumptions. Like some people assume, well, if I'm a student with a physical disability, going in a big city is better. But it depends how the public transportation, maybe a small town that's walkable, is better for that student because there is really no size fits all approach.
0: Well, this is some incredibly good information for us to have, Gabrielle, and I really appreciate your taking the time to talk about some of the highlights. How do people get in touch with you? The We Connect Now website, of course, and uh, where? Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you and perhaps some of the other students who are working with you on the website?
1: Well, before I get to that, I want to say we're bilingual. So all of your listeners in Michigan who speak Spanish and who want to read about resources in Spanish, I want to tell you that we're bilingual. So that's definitely a plus we have. And if people want to get involved with us, I want to tell them that they can email us at weconnectnow2008 at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook page, We Connect Now National. And we have resources. So what I want to tell you is we're a college student with disability group, but we love having parents involved. So if they want to put up a poster for a disability rights campaign in their nonprofit or university, In Michigan, please get in touch with us. We're also doing screenings of portrayals of people with disabilities in the media. And we love bloggers. We had a mother of a student with autism in Ohio. So if a parent wants to blog about their child or their experience for their website, we would love it. And then, obviously, if your child is in college and would love to give us a story, we would love to hear that perspective because I think a parent's perspective it's definitely very important. So we're always looking for parents and people to get involved in their local community.
0: Well, Gabriella, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to interview me. And I can't wait for you to send us a podcast because we definitely want to promote it on our social media and also put it in our new section of the website.
0: Our thanks again to Gabriella Delgado for taking the time to talk with us. We have links to her website, We Connect Now, on the Special Parents Confidential website, as well as the We Connect Now Facebook page and Twitter feed. So be sure to check out those links to connect with we connect now and that's it for this episode of special parents confidential i'm john pellegrini thanks for listening